Hey everybody, Adam Stott here. Thanks for checking out my podcast, Business Grow Secrets. You're absolutely in the right place. This podcast is going to reveal to you all of the secrets that you've been looking to discover that can allow you to cure your cash flow problems, attain more clients, bring in more leads for your business, and create systems and processes that give you the growth that you want. You are going to discover the business growth secrets you have been looking for that I've used to sell over 50 million pounds worth of products and services on social media and help clients everywhere to grow their businesses on the mark. So let's get started on the Business Growth Secrets podcast. Really, really pleased to have you um, here, Sarah. Obviously, we talked a lot about um, what we do, the people we serve, and we've been working on that um, a lot. And I want to them to get to know you a little bit uh, better. So maybe we'll start a little bit with your background and talk a little bit about you know where you come from, the process you come from. I don't know if you heard outside, but what I was talking about, when I first met you, your philosophies around balance, your philosophies around you know looking after your time. I think you're going on holiday for a month, aren't you, as well? You know, being able to do these things is like, obviously I haven't cracked it because I don't feel like I can go away for a month, right? And uh, yeah. So, so uh, that's kind of why I really wanted to bring you. So do you want to tell everyone, you know, the background um, of your, your career? Perhaps we'll start with your career and we'll talk a bit about business. Sound good? Yeah, I'm a kind of a, hello everyone, by the way. Thank you so much for having me. I always love coming into rooms full of people like you, actually. So enthusiastic, starting off on your journey, really exciting. So I hope it's going to be some great questions afterwards. But um, yeah, I'm, I kind of fell into being an entrepreneur, actually. I was not one of those people that when I was really young, kind of grew up going, oh, I must be an entrepreneur. Um, I was always fascinated in business, loved business. Even when I was young, I couldn't really understand how we were all sort of wearing the same brands and eating the same cheese and singing the same adverts, showing my age now, but finger of fudge is just in here, all that stuff on the te- of the telly. And I was like, what, how is this all of this? How has it all got into our head? Um, and I was fascinated by that and wanted to go off and study business at university also wanted to travel because my dad wouldn't let me take a gap year so managed to combine the two Um, and actually that little bit about my dad not letting me do a gap year um, is and the fact that I then chose a degree where I was going to be spending a couple of years abroad it's actually really important it comes back to what Adam was just saying about how I very much view every decision I make within that has a, an impact on my life. I don't, I really don't believe in a career path at all. And so when somebody talks to me about what's your career path been, I kind of glaze over and think, what, what are you talking about? Because to me, it's, it's about having a life path and actually your career and your work, it's got to fall into place. Otherwise you don't have the life that you want. And that started very, very young actually with that decision to go to university um, there's lots of clever things I could have gone off and studied well actually I didn't do that well in my A-levels so that's not quite true Um, but I was you know I wanted to do business but more importantly I wanted to do business abroad that was that really mattered to me that the the need to travel then having left there 
again, I actually, I ended up working at, during that time in hospitality and loved it. Thought, God, this is brilliant. This is my, this is my path, combining food that I love with business that I love and a very social environment. It suited me perfectly. But again, I still needed to travel. So trying to combine all of those things, then managed to get a job with, uh, I was at Planet Hollywood and then I was at Pizza Express. Again, doing all of these things, running their international department, traveling, absolutely loved it. At this point, I'm like, I don't, I don't need another job. You know, I'm really happy. I'm learning. I'm traveling. I had a great life. I was earning enough money to live the life that I needed to live. I didn't think, oh, I've got to go off and become an entrepreneur. So I'm kind of fast forwarding a little bit now, but sort of as I got towards my late 20s, I thought, well, hang on, this isn't going to work if I want to have a family. And at this point, I hadn't met Mike or my husband. And, but I knew that, you know, my dream in my life was to have loads of kids. And I thought, well, I've been to three countries this week, which is great as a 27-year-old, but not great as I want to start having a family. So it was at that point that I started to think, well, whilst I love this path that I'm on, it's actually not going to be my path in the future. It can't be because otherwise I'm not going to have the life that I want. And that's then when I thought, right, you know, I'm going um, to go, go, go alone and, and do what Pizza Express has, has done, but and what I'd learned. And actually a very pivotal and important part of that journey was I had made this decision that I I wanted to sort of change paths to suit my life and I'd gone to the board of Pizza Express about it and I'd said um you know I you're not really into international development anymore neither am I actually um I'll leave and they'd said well no don't go why don't you stay with us and do another year or two doing special projects my dad always says that's the first job to get made redundant I think it probably is actually (laughs) but um, special projects but what happened that year was really really important and I think it's because at that moment I was open to a different level of learning because I'd made this important decision about wanting to change my life path you know I wanted to you know I was going into my 30s thinking probably want you know hopefully I'll meet somebody hopefully I'll have children if it all works out and I shared an office at this point with two really clever people the CEO and the managing director of Pizza Express and during that year I must have driven them mad but I soaked up every single thing that I thought I was ever going to need if I was going to be if I was going to be successful on my own and again and I think that's an important it's it's an important part of the journey because I was open to it and I gave time to it so as well as doing my job I thought well I want to change my life actually I want to go down a different path and I can't do it without more knowledge and without more understanding and more importantly without more confidence I think that was really key to me and I'd really held these guys up on this pedestal. They'd got a floated business, um, very, very successful business model, beautifully, simplistically replicable as they kept opening more and more and more around the country. And I was like, God, they're so clever. Um, and then after the, at the end of the year, I thought, oh, they're not that clever, actually. <laughs> I totally get what they do. 
really understood it and I'd asked so many questions that on the end I'd got and that's not to make them smaller but it was actually just this realization that you know what it's not that complicated it really isn't but you just it's just asking the questions and understanding it and then going I can do that I totally get it and that's when I felt ready to to go off and and, and do it on my own. I actually asked them to back me, but uh, they weren't interested. They said, no, Sarah, we do pizzas, not Indian food. And then I went off and had the largest chain of Indian restaurants in the UK, which was my goal. That's what I really wanted to do. And it was that moment where I ran my diary. You know, like I, I was in charge at that point and I thought, right, if I can do this, then then I'm I'm starting on a different life path where... You know, if I have children and one of them's sick, I can actually move things around because I'm in charge to take that day and, and be with them. So it's a different purpose, isn't it? So a lot of people, while they start their business, they don't do it for the freedom. They no, do it for the money. And it sounds like you did it for the money, but you did it because you wanted to go in a different direction well, of your life. the money was important, um, actually, with for two reasons. One was that I was entirely driven by freedom, and I still am, actually, um, entirely driven by freedom. And the second thing was that, so the, so the money gave me... The freedom. It, it gave me the freedom to be able to do it. And also, I really wanted to be successful in, in the thing that I'd set out to do. And it actually, in business, quite often, where, unless it's a social enterprise, quite often the definition of the success, right, is the fact that you manage to exit successfully or you manage to create enough wealth that you have the life that you want so it's how it's also how success is defined in business so it's two reasons why the money was important uh, but it's went, not the drive absolutely and when you went off and started an indian chain of restaurants you could have had a number of reasons as you could have told yourself a story as to why you couldn't do that oh right? my god like and, and everybody, i'm sure most did everybody people did. Yeah, exactly <laughs> so most other people said what, what? are you doing <laughs> yeah oh totally but um, Why did you not tell yourself the story? Say, well, I'm not Indian, so I can't do this. I don't know how to cook Indian food, so I can't do this. Um, why did you not? Why did none of that matter to you? Because that matters to a lot of startups. They tell themselves a story about why they can't do something, where you just said, no, I can take this simple model. I can attach a different type of... I can, I can use this, but this is the vehicle, the Indian food. Yes. So I think, you know, I think one of the things that as you... I guess as you go on your journey is identifying what your superpowers are. And I think that's that's really important to know what they are. What are the things I'm really, really good at? And you know, there's lots of things also identifying the things that you're not good at. That's equally as important. Um, and one of my superpowers is being able to see clarity and chaos. So you can give me lots and lots and lots and lots of lots of information, and I can I my brain goes through it all and kind of just goes and then cuts through it and that's how I see business and at that point like all that stuff that you've just talked about all of those reasons that's the chaos that's the Indian yeah. food I'm not Indian I don't know how to cook it oh god loads of staff nightmare like a thousand <laughs> nightmare 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 but when I cut through it what I saw was this really beautiful clean business model underneath it it was a really simple business model which was um very replicable and easy to sort of slot into what I'd learned 
all of the big chains did. I mean, one of the things that I did when I was at Pizza Express was look at other businesses to acquire. So I would analyze their profit and loss accounts and think, my God, they, everybody has the same model. Like they all, and even today, the business I floated last year has exactly the same model, pretty much, as, as Pizza Express. It's the same business model. So the same return on investment, the same level of EBITDA at the bottom. It's the same payback period. But it, it doesn't really matter whether it's, it is, it doesn't matter if the period, if the payback period is the same. It doesn't matter if the, the EBITDA is exactly the same. But actually, if it fits into a clean, simple business model that I can explain to you in like 20, 30 seconds, doesn't matter about all the chaos. Just That's exactly matter. what you did with me. Is you, we, funnily enough, the last time we sat down, is you, one of the things you encouraged me to do is have the model on paper in a 20-second explanation of exactly everything that you do within your business from start to finish within 20 seconds and the process. And I, I drew that out yeah. and I got it designed. And I've used that. And since I've used that, actually, we, you know, record month after record month. So do you want to tell them what that means, simple, replicable business model? Because I think it's a really good... Yeah, so trying to, it's, I need to think of a tangible example. Um, so if you... I st let's start with coming at the angle from, a, from an investment, right? I've got a pound. I've got to decide where I'm going to put this pound. And I can put the pound in the bank. And I might get 2%. That's one. <laughs> if that. If, if that, exactly. <laughs> pound. There's my pound. Um, I can put this pound in one of your 50-odd businesses. That's my choice. It's got more than 53, doesn't it? Now you're yeah, no, it does actually. I was like 70-odd, <laughs> whatever. It does actually, yeah, you do. Yeah. However many you are, I can put this pound in any one of your businesses. Who so, wants the pound? So what's going to make me, what's going to make me choose your business? And it's about when you spend that pound in your business, what do I get back from it? So I'm not talking about me personally, but like you for every pound you spend, what are you getting back? So I'll give you the example of Pizza Express, right? Um, they, I'll make it simple by talking about a pound, but basically they open a site, and let's say that site costs a pound to open a site. Doesn't it cost like half a million quid? But um, you, you, open, you open a site, and you know within the first year of opening that site, you're likely to make... £200,000, £150,000 EBITDA. So EBITDA is, does everybody know what, are we at? Probably yeah, not. Yeah, so EBITDA is like... Bottom line profit. Profit, yeah, basically. Cash, yeah. profit. So yeah. it's not your depreciation, it's not your yeah. interest payments, it's not your amortisation, it's the, it's how we sort of measure the true return on investment of a business. So you do it before all of that stuff. That stuff comes off when you're talking about cash flow, which is obviously extremely important in all businesses. So how much of that am I going to get back? So let's say the first year I'm going to get 150 grand or 200 grand. And then it usually takes a restaurant about two years, really, to operate at a decent level of maturity, we'll say. So by that point, if you spent half a million quid, you're likely to be making 250 grand back that's your profit that you're going to get by the end of the second year. And that's when we calculate our return on investment. So our return on investment, spent 500 grand, 
we're getting 250 grand back in the second year. So my return on investment is 50% at that point. Well, so that means that for every pound I'm giving you, I'm getting 50p back, basically. That's pretty good, right? We like that. It's better than the bank option that we just had. So how do I get the 250 grand? How, how am I getting that off, off that? So that's the investment model, which is really simple. Then how am I getting that out of that restaurant? Well, in order to make 250 grand, I need to turn over... I need, I need sales to be a million quid out of that restaurant. That's £20,000 a week. That's a standard, like a decent Nando's or, a, you know, a lot of others will do a lot more than that. But let's just look at a simple model for a restaurant, £20,000 a week. And the business model itself is if they're my sales, and in order to get my 50% return on investment, I need to make 25% profit in that business. How am I going to make 25% profit? Well, my rents and my rates are going to be 10%. My labor is going to be about 25%. My food costs and my drinks costs are going to be about 25%. That leaves me another 15% for stuff, chemicals, cleaning bills, maybe even security, replacing some new straws, whatever. But I've got a 15% to play with there. That leaves me a 25% profit. That's a really simple business model. I could draw that out on a board and split it. Sales, cost of sales, labor, establishment costs, like rent and stuff, and then everything else in a little bucket. And I've got 25% left. Really, really, really simple. And that gives me, for every pound I spend, I get 50p back. So the reason is that, there's scale, it, yeah. That, so the I, reason, I, I, I don't know if I've explained that <laughs> simply enough. So the reason that they to make scale that work for their own business now, and I don't know if. So the reason yeah. that they scale is then you're able to, which is the point, is simple, replicable. If you could only do it once, you're not going to be as interested. So the point is, if you do it again, and again, and again, and again, and again, and again, now you have a massive scalable business because you set it up right in the beginning, right? because you actually knew the numbers from the beginning. So why don't we say the numbers, Sarah? So I, I taught them budgeting two months ago, yeah. and many of them did their budget. Some of them didn't. <laughs> who didn't? Oh, no, no, let's go with who did. Who done their budget? Raise your hands. So give yourselves a round of applause. Well done. Okay, so I taught them budgeting to yeah, get them yeah. to look into the future. Yeah, 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 How yeah, important yeah. are the numbers from the beginning? I mean, it's, you know... It, You've all watched Dragon's Den, right? And everybody goes, oh, they don't know the numbers. It's so important. I can't tell you how important it is. Now, I also understand, because I've also started lots of businesses, that you don't sit there with a crystal ball and a magic wand, right? So actually, you sat there going, well, I don't know. I've got a clue. What does good look like? But don't start a business if you don't know what good looks like. Find out what good looks like. Find out from other people that do what you do, what that business model that I've just talked about there in restaurants, anybody that starts a restaurant, that's your benchmark. That's what great looks like in restaurants. That's what we're aiming for. So every time you get up in the morning, every week when you look at your numbers, every month when you look at your numbers, you're like, well, I'm not making that 25% that Sarah talked about. Why not? Well, she said 25, 25, 15, 10, and then I've got 20, 25% left. Why am I not doing that? 
oh, well, hang on, I've looked at my labour. That was 49% last month. Sarah said 25. Why is my labour 49%? So it's, I've just told you what great looks like in restaurants, but don't start your business unless you know what great looks like in what you do. It's really, really important because then we don't know what we're aiming at. And you might do that model and find out that great in your business, in your area, is only 5%. And then you're like, well... Is that really a simple replicable business model? So that's why the numbers are so important. You've got to sense check. I've got a pound. Where am I going to put it? In a world where your business hits the great. So don't see so I'm this is about setting yourself up to succeed in the first place. So don't start don't go down a path where you're starting a business where success brilliance actually doesn't look that good. Do you know what I mean? I did that. The first business I did as the car business, great is 3% net profit. That is great. Or oh, that is the industry level. If you do 3% net, you're doing really well. If you do 5%, you're absolutely obliterating the marketplace. Yeah. So you don't want to work for 5% net, do you? You want to work it's for a higher margin. That's why service-based businesses make much higher margins. So you'd be better off to be in a business where you can make 40% net. Yeah. You know, for sure. So you've got to understand the business model and then you go about simplifying it, don't you? So when you did the... So we go back to... We did Bombay Bicycle Club. Yeah. And you got that growing. And I actually read about the real Greek as well. Yeah, that was part of... I never asked you about Yeah, yeah. No, I had, like, there was... that, That was partly mine, whereas the Bombay Bicycle Club, like, that was my baby. That was the one that... I made the cash from, if you know what I mean. Like when I sold it, I did really well out of that. That was great. The real Greek was part of the people. When I was part of my exit from the investors, I agreed to run two other large chains for them to sort of turn them around, sort them out, which I did. How many of you eating left. in there, the real Greek? Any of you in there? The I love Greek's it in there. Very, very good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's nice. really, yeah. really good. I can't claim it's brilliance, though. That's somebody else's brilliance that yeah. did that. Fabulous. Um, but yeah, so when I, and the reason I sold the Bombay Bicycle Club was almost the exact reason why I went into it in the first place, actually, was because I, I was like, this is great. I've got children. I want to have children. In fact, I, and I started to have children during the time whilst I had Bombay Bicycle Club. And then I got to the point where I was like, oh my God, I've got 1,500 staff and I've just had my second baby and I, I'm pregnant with my third. Um this isn't going to work. So I ended up selling the Bombay Bicycle Club and that's when I started doing other things and, and investing and just How do you being... manage having 1,500 staff? Um, I mean, I'm at 7.50 now again. I can't believe I've kind of gone full circle, but um, you have to have absolutely brilliant people underneath you. That's the, the key. When you get to that size, um, the key is, is surround yourself with brilliant people. It's the best piece of advice I've ever been given in my life. And it sounds like the most obvious thing. But it, even in that conversation we've just had where I've said, what does great look like in your industry, in your field? That's part of the surround yourself with brilliant people. Like find people that are great at what you're trying to do um, and that can really help on that journey or at least tell you what great looks like. And that was that's the same now in in a bigger slightly in a bigger business it's you you know I define success when I've made myself redundant from something 
Like that's when a business is really working, when it doesn't need me anymore because I've managed to create this team of brilliant people around me that are actually just getting on with it. And still making the margins. Still making the yeah. margins, still doing really, really well. And actually what they need is just every so often a long walk with me and to be told they're great. That's what you do. That's the magic so this one, is right? The t this is where you basically, Sarah's role now for 750 staff is to go for walks with them. That's what you do, <laughs> That's isn't what it? I do most of the time, yeah. I mean, actually, it's been quite tough recently with the... Um, Rain. With the, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Actually, yeah. <laughs> with the rain um, and the wind. Um, no, it's been quite tough recently with the economic climate in hospitality. So I, I am a bit more in the business now than I have been for a while. Um, but it's all to come in, sort, and every day, I think, every single day, I think, who, who can do this next week? Every day. It's all about trying to make myself redundant from the role. It's always looking to see who can do the thing always, that I'm doing. Always. Always trying to get, um, to free, free up my time. It's actually, I'm always trying to free up my time. Even though I keep filling it as well, weirdly, but I keep filling it with other stuff, like interesting, different things and interesting things. And, but, you know, when I, whenever I'm in a business, it's, that's always it. It's, but, you know, you guys are at a slightly earlier stage and, you know, that's often all hands on deck at that point. But, still got to have it like that little monkey on your shoulder telling you um am i am uh, ha, can i ever see myself being free from this you know that's when you've got a simple replicable business model and when when i started working with you which was and we spoke quite a lot about you said about craft gene club that you did within the dragons uh, dragons what i was really amazed at is how quickly you were able to analyze the lead generation process and get me to increase, you know, since, since working with Sarah, I have 10 times my marketing spend, 10 times. So the point where I'm spending hundreds of thousands per month now on marketing, um, because I've been able to do that on a science-backed basis, because Sarah gave me the science. And I've been doing this for years and years and years before in my other businesses. But it's only when I met Sarah that I realized, Jesus, this is like, it's like a wild professor's formula. Right, so it's like, I can't believe, you know, it was very... He'd already nailed it, right? He just needed somebody to go, but look, you know, it was, it was the thing, it was the, it was the clarity and the chaos, right? It was yeah. like, there was so much going on. All, and actually, I was like, you've got such a great business here, like such a great business. And it was going straight through to, that's your business model, this bit here. This is, this is the bit where you put your pound. And what that was is I broke my business model down into six things. And then I only ever look at the six things. So I never ever focus on anything else, just those six things. And by being able to just look at six things, you're never overwhelmed. And that, and that was yeah. the help. You made a big difference to me. So I was talking about lead generation um, with everyone this morning. Um, and this is where their next point of growth is, I think, yeah. which is why this was what I was doing this morning. Last month, we, we were teaching sales, right, and a deep level, yeah. how to increase sales, how to increase revenue. And then what I wanted to do today was attach the lead generation to the sales. Yeah. So do you want to mention a little bit about lead generation and maybe reinforce your perspective on why they need to increase lead top of funnel, right? Yeah, so again, this is, this is like... Break, breaking this down, so the clarity in that chaos is I've got a pound. And, you know, I, I um, 
couple of days ago, I swapped to... There's a girl who does amazing sports massages in Brighton, and I've really hurt my knee. And she contacted me to say, I'm really struggling. I want to expand my business. Will you? Would you mind spending some time with me? I was like, the best way you can possibly get my attention is one hour sports massage. I will talk business the whole time. Let's go. <laughs> So that's what we did. I thought, Where's that... Angela? Is she here? Because she does it. How do you know? It's how life should be, really. Isn't it? it should be swapping expertise. But anyway, so that's what we did. And she's re- really small, early stage in her in in her business. And so, I was trying to understand, like, trying to get to the bottom of, okay, how are you currently getting your sales in? Like, where where is it coming from? And she said, oh, I do a bit on TikTok. I do this, that, and the other. So we went through every single one. And I was like, well, hang on, just back to that. So what what happens when you post something on there? Oh, blah, blah, blah. So it's like, well, have you... So it was about looking at the different basic things that she tried to do. And if she hadn't done them, there was a couple of other things she needed to try as well. And I'm, I'm like, I'm talking about like putting 100 quid behind something. I'm not talking about putting 100,000. I'm talking about little bits, just little bits, and seeing which one works. So let's assume she does, like, so we looked at sort of four or five different channels which she could put £100 on, basically. And it might be that it's £200, but, you know, it's small, it, really small amounts within the context of the business. And then it was like, right, well, which one works? So it looked like pretty much... So I'm saying to, okay, TikTok, and I went through all of the things like with Craft Gin Club and all of the things that are currently working in direct-to-consumer businesses, because the world has changed quite a bit, actually, throughout COVID. TikTok's really big. Um, influencer marketing's really, really big. Weirdly, we're getting much bigger conversion from marketing, like, p- through the post, partnerships with other people, sort of trusted partnerships. There was just... it's, And even phone calls are converting better than they've converted in years. So mm. it's almost gone a little bit old school. Like, back in the day, when I had Bombay Bicycle Club, I used to just put a really big pink leaflet through every door and people ordered. It's easier then. But um, So we went through all of these different things. And I was like, an influencers, right? You need... She's, she's promoting a um, post... It's like a sort of post-Caesarean, very niche massage package that you would buy online great so really neat you can really target that right and so that the thing with lead generation is firstly understand you know who is your customer how can you speak to them how can you actually get to them how can you communicate with them where are they um and it's like when people come into the den and go oh you know my target market's like seven billion people you're like what And you're going to talk to them how exactly with your £5,000 marketing budget. Um, so it's beautiful when you've got a business model that's quite niche, really beautiful, because you you can talk to these people, right? You can get to them, you know who they are. So try and communicate with them through to start with through different channels and see what works. Something that doesn't work, is it the ad? Is it the message? Or is it actually that your customers are not there? So give it another go with a different ad. But when you see something works, double. If that works still the same and you're still getting the same return on your pound, go again, double again. Are you still getting the same return on your pound? Double again. So you keep backing the winning horse, basically. Until at some point there will be a tipping point and people will be like, nah, it's costing me too much money now to get these people in. So... But... Yeah. That was the thing that 
you you know essentially for me was you're back in the horse, back in the horse, back in the horse, back in the horse, but then the costs are scaling up. But actually, it's a good thing if the costs are increasing a lot of the time, provided the back end revenue is increasing, right? Well, so you can, yeah. yeah. That was so the the important thing here is the calculation of this return on your pound. So if you, she was, I'll keep using her as an example because it's actually a really perfect example. Her product is a hundred quid. So she hadn't spent any money trying to get a customer in. And I said, well, in all honesty, you're not, it's a virtual product. Doesn't, there's no variable costs associated with this product at all. It's not costing you anything. So really, you could spend a lot of money getting a customer in, couldn't you? Like, if I said to you, I'm going to pay 80 quid to get a customer in, you only make 20 quid, what would you say? Well, I'll, I'll have it. It's 20 quid. Well, exactly. 20 quid's still a profit, right? Back to my restaurants, I only make 25 quid in every 100 pounds that I spend. So, well, every 100 pounds of revenue, I only make 25 quid. Um, so why is it different in your model? Why She got it stuck in her head that this product was 100 quid, so that's not a lot of money. So therefore, she can't spend 100 pounds on marketing. But you're not spending 100... You're spending 100 pounds on marketing to get how many people through the door. And it, all it takes is for one person to transact, actually, out of that 100 pounds off one of your channels, and you've actually made your money back. And you've learned something. So go again and again and again. And ultimately, in a really niche market, she's not going to be spending that much money to get 100... I mean, it's post-cesarean massages. So how much can you spend to get... But don't be scared if... You spend £100, you only get two customers. That's it. It's okay. 50% profit. Happy and days, right? And get those customers to buy something else. And again, yes, exactly. Then yeah. you can sell them more. More content comes, more content. But also, you can keep going and get another two of those customers. And then next time, you'll get better at it because you'll go, that advert worked better than that advert. So you can get three customers in. And that's... It sounds so small, but you've got to start there because next time you'll get six. And the time after that, you get 12. And you'll get better at spending your £100, and then you'll spend £200, and then £500 in the same area, but you will have only spent £10 per customer, and you've got a business. And that is business, right? That's because it. what a lot of people think is business is, I've got to go, word of mouth, reputation. But you can't grow that type of business because you're too time-constrained, right? You have no time leverage. Totally. So, but, but it's only when you start spending and you start leveraging capital that you can actually grow. And then the sky's the limit, isn't it? Totally. And it's, it's, it's back to this simple, replicable business model. And I know I keep saying it, but it is, that is, it's not complicated. That's it. What does great look like in your field? That simple, replicable business model. And your marketing model is no different than your return on investment model that we just talked about. It's exactly the same principle. I've got one pound... Where am I putting it? And it was really good for me to hear that from someone at your level because I think a lot of the time, you know, a lot of people don't realise that's the game. So the whole game that you're trying to figure out and that people are trying to figure out, that is the game. <laughs> that is not actually anything else to it, is it? Not at all. It's how do, you, how do you spend and create more than you spend? And how do you keep doing that? And how do you leverage the media to do that. That's the marketing parts, the media leverage. The labour leverage 
is how do you get other people doing the stuff so you don't have to do it, so you get your time leverage back, which means you're then free. That's the whole game. Yeah, I mean, I now, I do, I now always talk about return on time invested. It's what we talk about. It's what we talk about, isn't yeah. it? When we get together, I'm like, yeah, but that sounds great. But what was you, how much time went into that? How much yeah. time, how much, you know, and he's... It's like, we did a quarter of a million today. Like, but were you there the whole day? <laughs> yes, I'm like, well, great, but you've just, you've just produced another arm of your business that involves you there all your time. So your return on time invested, what, what number do you give that, right? It's the only thing we've got. That's the real commodity that we trade in is our time. So, you know, when you talk about doing virtual, then I get really excited. Yeah. He's not there. So I'm like, that's winning. That's really, obviously it's a blend, of course it is. But the best things you can do is where your return on time invested is really high. So you, you move the needle when you're in it. You, when you are involved, you, you're doing something that really moves the needle. You don't want to be involved in the stuff in the day, like in the, in the stuff that's just generating small amounts all of the time. Your time should be there to, to really do something of, of difference. So you've got to work the model first, understand what your model is, and you have, you're probably going to have to be in the dirt for that bit. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. Well, it's so absolutely. you're going to do that bit. But then eventually, once you've got the model, then the new challenge becomes how do you completely remove yourself from the model and then keep it growing and keep it going up, isn't it? You yeah, know? And, and you know, to begin with, you'll find one thing that works and you'll put 200 quid on it, then 500 quid, then 1,000 pounds, and you'll back it and it will really work and that's great. And you'll think, okay, brilliant. But over time, you'll realize it's a blend. You know, you'll ultimately go, okay, that's really good. But at the moment, all my eggs are in TikTok. That's, let me, I wonder what happens if I go to Instagram. Or I wonder what happens if I partner up with these people over there. So I'll sell them and they sell me. How does that work? How How does that model work? Or you'll try different ways of of talking to your customer and getting them to convert but you'll get better at it because you'll understand what works and what doesn't work and I think I think at this at that stage in a business often people suffer from I always call it like action paralysis like you sort of you're like yeah yeah I know all of that but no you don't do it like that's the thing with businesses we think oh we've got to do all this really complicated stuff no you haven't you've actually just got to sell your product and just sell a bit of it. <laughs> just sell a bit of it to begin with to prove that it's a business, to prove to yourself that this works, to prove that people want it. Then go again and again and again and just get over that hurdle. And if you set yourself this, these like small goals, I'd like, I'm going to spend 100 quid and I'd like one customer. Yeah. Great. I mean, that's not, that's not insurmountable, is it? Like that sounds, you can do that. Whereas if you go, oh, I'm going to build a business that's worth 10 million, I'm going to retire and have a private yacht. And here you are today looking at, you know, should you put 100 quid on TikTok? You're like, <laughs> what? It's, you know, then you've got, that gives you paralysis that you don't want to, you know, but if you, if you break it down and just these small goals, it becomes so much easier to actually take action and, and do it. it. It's just about, again, like just seeing that clarity in the chaos of just, just that one step at a time. And then it, business isn't, it really isn't that complicated. But when you start like that bit at a time, bit at a time, bit at a time, 
um, it's easy to grow and to become that success. Then come back and then we'll have another conversation when you've got past that. Like, you know, it's, it, you get to that first stage where you're like, right, I've got a simple replicable business model. I've done it. I've proved, I've done it. Now it's, I don't, I don't know what to do next. That's a different conversation. Is. And I don't know, you know, there'd be different people in the room that yeah, are different the, stages, of course. So, I, you know. I think mo most people, this, you know, we've got some people that are early. We've got some people doing 100,000, some people doing half a million, some doing a million, you know, some doing two million, some doing five. But the bottom line is, even no matter what they're doing, is most wouldn't be able to explain their entire business model in 20, 30 seconds. Yeah. And if how many how many think you could explain your entire business model in 20 to 30 seconds, give pure clarity to people and they would understand it after you'd finished the 30 seconds? Raise your hand. A couple of you, okay? But it's just a couple of people. So that's kind of the next phase yeah. and then you build on that. Now, to move backwards a little yeah. bit, let's talk about the balance because I know there's a lot of... How many of you ladies want to get more time back in your life and gents as well, right? Absolutely. <laughs> and I want to actually talk about boundaries because you are obviously super successful, but you're nice. <laughs> right? No, no, it's serious though. It's a serious thing, right? Because there is this, this, this kind of mentality that you need to be an asshole, right? <laughs> but you don't, do you, right? That's the bottom line. But how yeah, do you yeah. create boundaries without being a dick. <laughs> um, how do I Kate? So, <laughs> She's still teaching I've, I've me this. Never been, asked, <laughs> never been asked this question. Um, I mean, I actually think the first bit is like, don't believe your own bullshit. Do you know what I mean? As mm. in, that's what I think you find a lot of people do. And I sometimes sit in the room with... Uh, people and they start talking and I'm like what on earth are you talking about like <laughs> just and I'll get to at the end and often I'll sit there and go I I'm you know I, I don't understand she don't know what what I don't know what you mean what what can you please explain to me it's simpler and I think you know I don't know if it's like I'm not smart enough or you're talking a lot of shit and I don't re I can't follow it basically. So I think that's a really important thing is like staying, staying grounded within business as well. It's not just grounded in your own life, but it's, it's just grounded, right? It's, I've just explained to you that the simplicity of business in, you know, the context of some stories, but I could have two minutes, you know, this it's, there's different angles, right? It's like your simple replicable business model, bang, 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 bang. And I'm an investor and I've got a pound and where am I going to put it? What's your return on investment? That's, that's literally the basics. Of course, you know, we could do a whole session on branding, on PR, on, you know, there's, there's, there's a whole on what do your numbers need to look like and how do you, you know, all of, there's, there's loads and loads and loads of business, of course, there's lots more around it. But put really simply... That's what we're talking about here. It's not complicated. And I get, I get really frustrated when I hear a lot of people in business really complicate it because what it does is it puts up a barrier to people like me who, you know, I'm working class northerner that wasn't surrounded by entrepreneurs that easily could have been put off by lots of people talking in a complicated way about something that 
actually isn't that complicated. And I don't like people putting up boundaries to others because we're all very capable of it at different levels and different scales, but we're all very, very capable of it. Because it's, it's if you can run a house, you can run a business. We've all got a balance sheet. We've all got a P&L in our house. We can do it. So I think, I think it's, that's important. Also, I have loads of kids. That really helps because can't take anything too seriously. That's for the managing staff, isn't it? That bit? Can't take anything too seriously because <laughs> they will not allow me to. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think, I think uh, it's a really difficult question to answer. You, you almost like have to ask everybody else that rather than me because I don't really know how you don't, how you... No, but you're very, you just, you are who you are and you're happy with it. But you will say no and you will say yes and you just do it, don't you? But I think a lot of yeah. people can't say no. A lot of people can't say yes. A lot of people don't know when to stop a lot of the time. A lot of people don't want to tell someone how it is. You seem to have all of that locked yeah, on. so I think there's a few things. So firstly, you know, actually, let's talk about risk because I think that's really important in your general well-being. Um, like I would, people look at entrepreneurs and they think we're all risk takers. Actually, the really good entrepreneurs don't take unnecessary risks everything is calculated very cal it's a very calculated risk so whenever I do anything I mean like seriously whether I'm like literally jumping out of a plane or or starting a business I'm like what's my absolute downside here don't jump out of a plane because my downside is quite big but what are the real statistics how many people have died doing it um or when I look at my business I think what am I really risking here so what could go wrong you know, if I'm doing it because I have absolutely no other choice and I couldn't get a job and, you know, it's, you've got to look at what, can you handle your worst case scenario? So I always, whenever I look at any life decision or business decision, it's like, what does great look like? Really important. But what does absolute doomsday look like? <laughs> and can I handle it? And sometimes the... You know, I would say I, I say to more people to not go ahead with their business than I do to go ahead with their business. One, because they've taken too big a risk. I'm like, don't do that. Um, and two, because actually I think to be to be an entrepreneur, you've got to be pretty self-propelled. You know, it can be very lonely. These environments are great because you get together with a lot of like-minded people. Um, but it can be very lonely. And if you're not self-propelled. Um, then I think you're, you're, you know, often aren't suited to it. So I think you've got to be mindful of your personality type as well. Um, I forgot what was, what was I even I'm like waffling. <laughs> what was I even saying? No, no, about no. Boundaries. We, yeah, no. We were, it's just saying that. So, in a life balance, yes, you consider the life path over the career path. Yeah, always. It's so, it's got to fit the. What I'm doing with work and my career has got to fit in. Now, don't, obviously, I'm not completely blind to the fact we've also got to pay the bills, right? I get that completely. Um, and I think that's really important. But shall I talk about my pie chart thing? Yeah. Because that's, um, he really struggled to do that. He really struggled to do this. This is quite funny, actually. I feel like I need to drink. You like it? <laughs> nah. Shall I? Shall I? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to draw it. Well, okay. Uh, not my one. Oh, oh you pulled this. There you go. Not yours personally. <laughs> but, um, I'll get you a better pen than that. Hang on. Okay. Right. So, 
I, this is actually how I kind of look at my boundaries. This is, this is how I balance my time. And now I do it more naturally, but like this is how I started doing it. So um, that is my time, right? That's my pie chart of time. So you could do this whether you are looking at, you could, you could split it up into your personal life, you could do your work life. In fact, to get Adam on the path, we had to do two. <laughs> one was work to keep him happy, and one was then life in general. You know, if you're a bit more advanced, you could just start with life. But it's okay, and we will allow... <laughs> We will, all, we will also allow the work one. But so I would do this in, in January, for example. Like I would look, I don't do New Year's resolutions or anything. I look back on the year before and I go, how did I spend my time? Did it work? Was it good? Was I balanced? The answer is never, you never get it right. You know, it's, it's always work in progress. It's always areas for development, blah, blah. So I'd start off with, um, right, what do I want to do this year? And you'd look at that and you'd go, I will, I will end up doing. I will end up going over it in a different pen. But let's say I want to go right. I want to spend more time as a mom. Here, I want to be. I want to have loads of fun with my mates. So you start like this, basically. Then you go. Really want to exercise more this year. And then you go. I'd like to swan around. So here I want to travel. Um, I want to learn a new skill. Let's say cook. I want to have more time to myself. I want to read a book. Whatever, right? There's, that's your time. And you're like, oh, that's my perfect year. That's my magic wand year. And then you go, oh, I haven't paid for it yet. So, <laughs> so you cross it off and you go, okay, I appreciate I've actually got to pay for it. Now. And I do enjoy work. I do enjoy work. So realistically, what can go? I'm like, oh, I'm not that bothered about the book, actually. Uh, I'm not really that bothered about cooking, but maybe I just do a small amount of time for cooking. Exercise, non-negotiable. Maybe my mates just seem a little bit less. So that frees that. I'm not going to compromise being a mom that's going to stay there. I need time to myself because the more I think and the less I do, the better I am in my business. I've, I know that. I know I'm better I am in my life and my businesses. So I have to have this time here, non-compromisable. I'll compromise that, won't compromise that. I will compromise that. I won't compromise that. That can just go because that's a luxury. It's not going to happen. So suddenly I've now got, obviously this isn't correct because you do another one, but now that is allowed to be work, that bit there. But in drawing that, this is it, right? This is my life. This is all I've got. And, and you can, some people might do this at the beginning of every week. They might do it at the beginning. Some people might even do it in a day. I would do this at the beginning of a year just to remind myself all the time of balance. So then what happens during the course of the year? This one always comes over here. This is the one that you end up spending loads and loads of time on work. But 
remember where you started. It's a circle. So remember, if, if you go over on the work, what you promised yourself you would do this year in your work, what's gone? Because I've said I won't compromise on these things. I said here, these things are not allowed. These are non-negotiable. Me being a mom is non-negotiable. Me exercising is non-negotiable. Me spending time on my own so I'm a better thinker, not a doer, is non-negotiable. These things are really important, but I have just compromised them. So, you know, when we were started off doing this, we would review it quite regularly and go back and go, oh, this isn't working, push it back and force this stuff through because this is, this, this is life here, forcing that through. And I find this... Obviously, you are much, much, much more detailed, of course, because life is much bigger than I've just explained it here, but you get the idea. Um, I find this is, it really works for my head to be able to see my time as finite. That's it. That's all I've got. So how am I going to spend it and how am I going to split it up? And what is absolutely non-negotiable to me to live my life, the stuff that matters to me. And I have things that are non-negotiable. As it happens, it is exercise, it is being a mum, but it, there's other things as well. And every year that might change. One year I did this, true story, um, ridiculous actually, but one year I did this in January and I'd done it and I realised that I'd got this proportion of time here, which was media. So this is before I did Dragon's Den. I used to have like a regular on Sky and my own radio show and stuff like that. And it was media. And I couldn't make the pie chart work. So in the end, something had to go. And I decided media was going to go because I couldn't, I couldn't make the other things work, being realistic about this bit work. So within six weeks of doing the pie chart, I had basically handed my notice in everywhere. I'd stopped all, not my columns, because I got somebody else to write them. Um, <laughs> But my <laughs> <laughs> under my supervision, obviously. Huh. Uh, but my radio show, the thing that involved my time, right? So all of those, I cancelled every single one of them. Anyway, this is not this is actually not relevant, but it's a true story. So I cancelled it all, which meant that I could do everything I wanted to do. The f morning, I so the night before, I'd made my final. I'm not going to do TV anymore. And it was, I used to have a regular with Eamon Holmes and he was the one who'd really supported me. And I wanted to phone him first before I'd spoken to the producer just to say, look, thank you so much for all of your support, but I'm not going to do it anymore. So I phoned him, told him that, then told the producer, phoned my husband, said, I've done it. No more media in my life. I've totally freed up this entire section. We're good to go. Um, and... So we went to the pub, blah, blah. Following morning, I am not joking, 11 o'clock in the morning, into my inbox from the BBC, would you come and screen test for Dragon's Den? <laughs> and it was one of those moments where I was like, I can't unsee it. I've read it now. Like, I can't unsee that. Anyway, I did end up doing it, so I found something else had to compromise and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, that's, <laughs> that's life, right? But... And you've done a lot of media lately, haven't you? I've been noticing you're doing loads of media. Yeah, you? but I'm doing it now. So then I did a lot of media, almost for media's sake, which is why I was able to just go, why am I doing this? This is ridiculous. It's like ego, really, nothing else. Um, whereas now I actually do a lot for the business. So yeah. it's much more, 
it's much more about promoting the bars and like I do it, there's a, there's a return on time invested. There you go. Absolutely. So anyway, I don't know if the, some people find the pie chart really useful. Other think other people think it's bonkers, but because it, it depends <laughs> how it works with your with your mind. But the, that the gives me is, balance. That's how I get my balance. Is I see it in this finite. You get in front of it because I think that what happens is with a lot of people is life business carries them away, and because they've never actually got in front of it and said, actually, how what do I want it to look like? And if you actually get in front of it and say, this is what I want it to look like, then you can create it. But if you don't actually get in front of it, and I think that's what a lot of people don't do. Yeah. So if I get... Yeah, I think, it's, you, I think it is that we don't get in front of it, but I also think that we don't start off by defining success. So it's easy to sit there because you're talking about a business. So success becomes all about the success of the business. But going back to that thing where, like, it's a life plan, right? So is success... And your answer might be yes, in which case it's absolutely fine, but just be conscious of it. Is success 365 degrees of that pie chart being... 360 degrees, sorry, I was thinking 365 days. 360 degrees, 365 days of the year being business. Is it? Because if the answer to that is yes, it's absolutely fine, but... Yes. It's the... <laughs> See what I'm working with. <laughs> no, I'm only joking, right? <laughs> no, I'm really good. Um, but that's, I think that's, that's it. So it's one thing getting ahead of it, which I guess we're saying the same thing. I just, yeah. slightly different angle is the success, is what does success look like to you? Define success. So why are you doing this business? What, what, what for? And it, you know, it, depending on di different stages in life and where you are, and your success actually might be, it doesn't really matter about everything else because I don't have an enormous amount of everything else in my life. Yes, I'd like to get up and exercise a little bit in the mornings. I'd like to see my mates, but I haven't got a family yet. I just want to go all in. My pie chart in my 20s looks very different than my pie chart did in my 30s and looks very different than my pie chart looks like now. You know, so I think that's the important thing is defining what does success look like. And then... I then, that's the physical manifestation of it for me. That's how I draw out, because I ruled by time, is how I draw out what success looks like in terms of the time. So I would see, I don't want to start a business that might be the most successful business in the world, let's say. Like, success in that business might be incredible if it means 360 degrees. That's failure to me, because that's my life. So then I pair it back, which of course then also means you probably pair back the ambitions for your business. So every, it's all a compromise and that shows you that it's a compromise because if you spend a bit more time being a mum, something else has got to give. You spend a bit more time working, something else has got to give. If you want to compete in a triathlon this year, that's a bit more time exercising, something else has got to give. So it's all a compromise, but within the context of that. So it's like, what does success look like? And that moves all the time, so constantly readdressing it, what does success look like? So that, I think, is how, that's how I get in front of it. Absolutely. I think. Well, yeah, perfect. No, I think it's really important. No, not at all. No, yeah. I think it's really important for people to, <laughs> to understand that. And I think it's important to say that if work is taking over, what would you do in the case where work is taking over? Rather than quit it, you would leverage it, perhaps. So I'd find another way, like there's, always another way 
always, always, always another way. And often, if work's taking over, it's because you're right into sort of the madness of it. You know, that bit that I have there where I need to think more and do less. Um, and that sounds so like what do you such do? a luxury. So talk about thinking. So talk about the thinking time. So I walk, That's but it's different for everybody, right? I've, you know, my husband's not as introverted as I am and he talks. You know, he, he needs to offload it. I don't, I... I walk and empty my brain. And if I, as I try very, very hard to empty my brain. And as I walk in silence in nature, I don't listen to podcasts. I don't listen to have, because my life is just one big mess of input, actually. I've constantly got input <laughs> in my head. So I, my moments are when I can just be silent. So I walk through forests or woods or whatever. That helps to empty my brain. And as my brain empties... How did you discover that? I used to live abroad and then, and I used to, um, well, the way I properly discovered it was I took one year of that pie chart was just travel. And I wanted to, didn't have the gap year that I told you about earlier, and really wanted to basically take a year. So I took my kids out of school. I went traveling around the world for a year. And it took me nearly two years to make myself redundant to be able to do that and make myself redundant from my life, as it were, make us all redundant from our life, actually. And we took the kids travelling. And as an adrenaline junkie, which I'm sure a lot of people in this room are as well, um, it took almost six months for the adrenaline to leave my system properly. And my brain... Can you explain the adrenaline? Because I don't know, you explain that to get that. What do you mean by adrenaline junkie? So adrenaline is this, it's... It's when you know, you, you, you can feel it in the way that you're reacting to things. You react very, very quickly on adrenaline. It's your survival instinct, right? It's like, you, it's the thing which will make you survive any form of crisis. But if you're constantly pumped with adrenaline and input, you react very quickly to things. And it makes us far less reflective. We breathe shorter. Um, and... I notice, and I, you walk quick. I'm a really fast walker. Like, I'm, I'm never, I'm always on the go, basically, as I'm sure a lot of people in this room are. And when I went traveling, it took months for the adrenaline to properly leave my system. And when it did, my brain was the most beautiful it's ever been. It was such a joy to be inside my head, I can't tell you. <laughs> And you, I just, you, the ideas that, that came and the free flow of thought. And now because I have that muscle memory, I then spent a, quite a long time in that state, if you know what I mean, because I was traveling. I can now go back to it quite easily. So I guess a lot of people meditate. I don't actually meditate, but a lot of people meditate and get the same, same thing that I'm talking about now from meditation. But when you run a business and you're and it's just crazy and it's important, you need quick decisions and you know adrenaline is important, really important because it keeps us going. Um, but to have that clarity of thought, um, you need to have time mm. without input, and you need to find how you do that. You need to find whatever it is that helps give you that clarity and helps to empty your brain and you know, you will get 70-odd 
people will all come up with something different. You know, we are all different human beings, but I think it's a very, very important tool to have to for also to recognise how we are when we're full of adrenaline and cortisol, which is stress. And I don't know if any of you, any of you have done like Myers-Briggs and stuff, you, when you do like the personality tests. Well, in times of really extreme stress, we go to our opposite type. So I'm an ENFP, so extrovert, just um, intuitive, so sort of quite a strategic thinker. Uh, I'm a feeler and I'm quite last minute and a bit disorganized. That's basically it. You should see me at a time of stress. There's zero emotion. I'm all thinking, no feeling. I am so organized, it is painful. I am spreadsheets, lists, everything. I'm very introverted. It's all going on inside my head. And I become so detailed that I can't see the bigger picture. That's the opposite type of my Myers-Briggs. And I think understanding that's actually really cool, that you realize that this is my natural relaxed state. This is how I am. This is me as a human. But when I'm filled with adrenaline and cortisol, this is how I behave. And recognizing that in yourself actually um, reminds me, you know, obviously going for a walk is not going to completely undo months of deficit. But it's, it's that maintenance as much as you possibly can of reminding yourself to try and get surplus from somewhere so that you go back to your natural state rather than your sort of frightened state almost your stressful state and I think I find that very very useful for me absolutely I think it's really important really really important for you know lots of people in the room especially if you're under pressure or under stress you're not going to perform at your highest levels right so look we're going to do a quick couple of quick questions from the audience here you sir a big round of applause amazing so who who wants to ask a question so, okay, we go to Dan. We'll run this. Oh, you need that, so we're going to do another mic, yeah. I'll stand because it's probably easier. Um, hiya, hi, thank Dan. you very much. I'm absolutely humbled to be here just to listen to everything that you're teaching us and giving us. I've written three pages of notes already. Oh, so easy. Dan's <laughs> our super A player, <laughs> Thank right? you so much. Um, so for me, I'm, kind, I'm trying to find that balance at the moment, and that, that time pie chart is absolutely fantastic for me, Great. so really appreciate that. For me at the moment, I've, I've come from a career in the NHS, which I was really successful with as a paramedic in, um, in strategic roles, in, in going up on my ladder within the NHS, really. And my family were very, very proud of me, really could see where I was going. No one in my family has been in business. Um, none of them are currently in business. So I've always had a pull and a passion in business. It is just the thing that I love. I, I love I've been in different businesses over the past 10 years. And it's the one thing that I can really just feel. And they don't get it. (laughs) They don't get it. And I know, for me, I'm trying to surround myself with people who are like-minded and it's doing fantastic things. Um, But I can't escape family who create quite a lot of the pressure for me. Sorry, it's a bit... <laughs> so nice. so what, what, is your, what is your advice on, on that with family, the people who you love so much but you can't really escape? So I think the first thing I would try and do is to understand why they don't want to understand it. So what's the driver behind that? Because it's probably fear. Mm. Most of the things that we are scared of in our life are the things that we don't understand, right? 
yeah, we don't, you tend to be less scared of the things that you do understand um, because that you can, you feel like you can sort of control it or be part of it. So my guess would be that it's, it's fear that drives that. So, okay, what is it that's, what is it about it that, that they fear, if let's assume it is, then it could be um, money, safety, yeah. security, yeah. It's usually what it is. So I think in, in those, in a circumstance like that, to be fair to them, they're probably right to be scared, actually, and they're probably <laughs> right to worry about money. And the right thing to do then is to open their eyes to everything it, what is it that scares you? Let me explain it to you. Go through this, go on this journey with me. And I think back to that, you know, we talked about mitigating risk. You know, what's your real downside here? Like, what is, what are you really risking? And in explaining what you're yeah. really risking, because I hope the answer to that is not everything. Because, yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you've mitigated, there's a level of some mitigation, right? Yeah, you definitely. Know, so, and I, I think I, I resonate with all of that. That is yeah. kind of where it is. It's, it's the unknown. And I think I've tried to protect them so much from not telling them because they don't understand it that actually that probably creates more anxiety, create more, more fear. fear. So, but the I guess the answer you've always got is, look, I was really successful at what I did. Yeah. So I always used to say, well, I'll just go back to working behind a bar. Yeah. I'm great at that. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I'm just like, if all else goes wrong, I'll go and get a job behind a bar because yeah. I'm, I'm good at it. So you've got an amazing job, actually, that you can always fall back on. There's always jobs available in your field and you are very, very good at it. So that's an enormous safety net, right? Which means that you're not risking everything because you've always got that yeah. to fall back on. And I would... I would be extremely open. I would take them on the journey and I would force them to ask you every single question that they're scared about. Everything. Yeah. That's brilliant. Thank you. And I think they'll be a lot less fearful. Yeah. Because it is really, really hard for families, I think, when one person seems to be going off uh, and it seems at a whim and it seems not planned and it seems a bit crazy and like, why the hell would you leave the security? Why would you do that? That's bonkers but actually let them get inside your head and understand one what that you, you know see. what you're doing yeah two that you love it like it gets you up in the morning you feel alive um and three talk to them about the absolute risk mitigation so part of that will be in your business but the real your real risk mitigation is well i'll go back and get a job behind a bar that's 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 what you'll do you'll go and get you go back to your brilliant job if it all goes really 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 wrong so what does great look like and what does doomsday look like? Brilliant. Thank you very much. Good really stuff well done, Dan. Thank you. Okay, who else got a question? Okay. So we go, because we're there, then we go there, and then Michael as well. So we go over to Laura. Thank you. Hi. Uh, thanks so much for that. I've really enjoyed it. Um, just so you know, I own um, a cafe, so I have a hospitality business, um, and we make niche crepe cakes. So what I do is so niche. So listening to your story has been really interesting for me. The one thing that I feel like as a business we struggle with um, is we sell a lot, but it's all through word of mouth. So the whole lead generation side of it, I struggle with um, owning a cafe, like how to get more people in. 
So really, is there like any advice around that in terms of how you did it with your own businesses? I'm just intrigued to know. Yeah, and do you know what? It's very, like, hospitality are not very good at this, actually. We're yeah. not very good at everything you've taught this afternoon because we've got our own way of doing it, and that is word of mouth. We open the door. We expect people to come. We think, well, we serve great food, so why aren't people coming? Yeah. Um, and there are, actually, we, in hospitality, we do need to do what Adam's been talking about this afternoon, this morning. Um, and we need to be good at it. But it's harder to calculate your, your return on investment because it's not like you're selling a £100 product because if you sell a £100 product, your profit on that is only, at best, 25% anyway. So it's really 25% of the 100 So if somebody comes through yeah. the door and spends 100 quid, you're actually only, at best, making 25 quid off that. So you have to remember that your return on investment model is slightly different. Yeah. So we do a lot of things. We do a lot. TikTok actually is, I know I keep going on about it, but it's only because I'm getting old and it blows my mind. But people search for everything in hospitality through TikTok. Um, TikTok's really important, but it's the same principle of trying different means of doing it like it's usual it's your loyalty schemes it's um encouraging worth word of mouth through actual refer a friend you know and getting money off if you yeah. bring a friend in it's the adverts on tiktok um find posts that work maybe with a local influencer or somebody's got quite a few followers um tie up with local businesses corporates you know it's the it is you've got to in hospitality, you, the sales don't just come. You have got to actively get out there and get the sales just like you do in, in every other business. And it's walking the streets. It's, it's doing your partnerships. Everything we talked about, it's exactly the same in hospitality. Go and find your partnerships. Get the big corporate bookings in. Um, encourage more loyalty. and Try and spend sell the same person more. So encourage more repeat business. Um, Try some of the social media ads. Try the influencer route. You know, all of these things, it's exactly the same for a cafe. Okay. Because actually, you must have a measure of what your repeat business looks like and therefore have a decent measure of... We not do, the, yeah. Not the lifetime value of a customer, but the true value of a customer. So your customers, are, if you're good, will not just come in once, right? They might come in mm -hmm. 10 times. And they might bring 10 mates with them. In which case getting that person in the first place is worth so much money to you because they bring in a lot of other custom and they keep coming back. So that bit you've got nailed, right? You're great at the operations. You're giving people a good time. You need to encourage them to come back, encourage them to bring more people and then get new people in there in the first place through okay. those other means. It is yeah. exactly the same as any other business, but we're not good at it. Yeah, I think, I think that's why I struggle with it. That's yeah. all, because it's like, sometimes I can't get my head around those concepts and be like, how does that apply to, like, cake? Do you know what I mean? Totally. No, it's half, just my, difficult. I've, loads of my team are like that, like yeah. old school operators. They just, well, we just show them a great time. Yeah. Who? <laughs> Where are they? You know, it's the, it's yeah. the, it's the same principle. That it, It's exactly the same principle no matter what your business is. Okay, thank you. Absolutely. And some good ways as well is you can create a little affiliate army of your clients. You can turn yeah. your clients into your affiliates, get them marketing for you, all right, as well. So you can, all the people coming into the business that you're seeing, you want to talk about maybe the affiliate plan you've got where they're actually going out there and promoting what you do. Turn your clients into your marketers. 
yeah. you know, things like that as well, which you can do because you've got a very small niche business and, yeah. you know, got a, a brilliant product. It's like pancake cakes, but they're made... They're made of pancakes. It's really hard to explain, actually. I'll show you it? a picture. We'll undo I'll your business you model in 20 seconds. <laughs> Where is it? It's in Cheltenham. I've got a shop in Cheltenham. Amazing. Yeah, really, really successful, really well-known. I think it was uh, Joe next, was it? Yeah. Okay, so, yeah, we'll pass that over to Joe. I think Carla and Michael. Good, well done, Laura. Hi. Uh, thanks for, for everything that you've, you've taught us today. So one of the things that I've struggled with... Um, not just in business, but prior to starting my own business, I've always worked in the corporate industry, design engineer, design manager. Um, and I've always struggled with, like, it's going back to, like, your, your pie chart there, is you plan something and then you find it very difficult to stick to. So, for example, I can do a schedule and I plan this, this and this. And the first thing on the list, I might just, like might take longer or something else, a curveball comes in and then I find that it just completely blows my day. Um, so what my question is, is how, how do you kind of like make your plan and actually stick to it? Well, I think the first thing is, is you don't have to stick to all plans. and That's okay, actually. And that's actually important to to know that in business, you 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 know, you're driving a jet ski at businesses of our size and sometimes you do have to move around something and that does take you off course. And actually it's okay because a lot of the times when you start a business, you might think that your business model is X, but actually as you progress, you find a better and different business model and you might become a virtual model instead of an in-person model. And that, you know, when you started out, like never crossed your mind, but, you know, so I think it's okay to to consciously veer off plan. But if, if, if it's not a plan that you should be veering off, um, then it is about, you know, the fact that you've written it down. I find that works for me. It doesn't, it's different for other people. You might have a different means of like sense checking yourself. But it's a bit like that. It is about having something that you, you come back to to remind yourself what does great look like here. I think that's where we get lost a lot in our day or in our week not just in life, but not just in work, but also in life, actually. Like, we forget what does great look like. Mm -hmm. And that constant self-checking, whether it's a plan that you've got with work or whether or not it's how you'd plan to spend that week or your, how you wanted to live your life, uh, constantly coming back going, remind me again what great looks like because I can't see the wood for the trees. So having, in a moment where you can see the wood, the wood for the trees, a moment where you do have that clarity of thought and you have written a clear plan, you have got it there and it's down in paper, then remembering to come back to it and having the brain space to come back to it and finding the brain space. So if you are like all over the place because loads of curveballs have been sent to you, you know, I go for a walk, but again, everybody's different. So it's finding that way of emptying part of your brain to just to allow you to have that that space, like I said, a lot of people meditate and stuff. It's, I don't know, what, whatever your thing is, like go swimming, anything, but finding that space to be able to come back and kind of breathe and go, right, that's, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. That's just a curveball. That's just a curveball. Deal with, deal with, back on track. Do you know what I mean? But it's that, it's, you've got to be able to empty your brain, I think, to be able to... Yeah, I mean, I write lists and lists and lists of things and then I like 
try and like pick the really important things for the following day or for the week or whatever. Yeah. But like I say, sometimes I just get lost in the first thing and then I have trouble then going back to actually like, what was I supposed to be doing? You yes. know, it's, I suppose it's like a case of what I'm trying to do is put like the, the money side yeah. first over the things that yeah. don't really matter. Yes. But I just get stuck on the first one and I want to keep going until I get it finished and then it's at the, you know, the expense of something else that's just as important. Uh, yeah, I mean, it also sounds like a lot of lists can be quite a... That's quite a scary place to be. That would totally freak me out if I had loads of lists. It's just how I empty my brain. Yes, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's just, just Then you might dump. want to do loads and loads and loads of lists and then when you've got the brain space, like pull out the clarity, mm. that's the chaos, yeah. all those lists. It's like you're starting to organise the clarity but then pull it out and go, actually, these are the only four things I need to think about here. Yeah. Definitely. You know, if you, just, you should be able to count it on one hand, like what you've yeah. got to do. Like, can you tell us in a minute or half a minute what you're, what you're trying to achieve here? Not your massive to-do list because we've all got them huge like that's not just work that's life that's everything huge to-do list not them that's that's they're the post-it notes they're the you're functioning there but like over here what are you really like that step back what are you really trying to achieve so sounds like you just need to keep stepping back pulling yourself back honestly it's the thing I do most with my team is I almost like grab them by the collar and pull them back out like at the moment we're in the middle of Christmas and hospitality is crazy um, so I just, they, I'm the last person they need to see. Like I just, you know, I just buy people pizza and hope for the best. But, and <laughs> that's, it's just crazy at Christmas. But like in January, you know, that, that's it. It's about, I've, my job is to pull them out of the business so that they can see clearly again what it's all about rather than going, oh my God, I've got so much to do. I've got, Ugh. it's just, you know. So you, if you don't have somebody that does that for you, You've got to be good. So if you need to write on your list, head back in the game, write on your list, get my head back in the game. You know, so it's pulling your head back. Okay, thank you very much. No worries. Give a round of applause for question. Okay, we've probably got time for just a couple more. Okay, Michael's had his hand up the whole time at the back. And then we go to Mary. Well, it's a privilege to see you, Sarah, and uh, not just on the TV and BBC. And it's great to hear, like, your business advice uh, my question is, obviously, you were talking earlier about the uh, percentages within the restaurant business. Yeah. Which, obviously, what's the great? How do you work out what's great within your service business? How do you work that out? So you basically find businesses that do what you do and do it well. So they've been successful at it. They look, you know, they, they're big. They look, they look like they've been successful, as many as you possibly can, and you knock on those doors until you find out. You speak to as many people as you can. You've got to find out what great looks like in your industry. And, of course, there are people who will, who are innovators. That's different. You know, I'm talking about doing what... Ultimately, your business model is unlikely to be innovative. Unlikely, it might be. Um, but in terms of the underlying core business model, what does what does great look like in your sector? So if it's you know, advertising or selling pet products or whatever it might be, um, what does great look like? Why would you win in a room of 100 people? Why would you get the pound? I think, 
You see, we we, um, we work from, from like a profit first banking system, so we got like five different bank accounts, and seventy five percent of that operating expenses. But that's obviously that's just us. So I don't I don't know like any like plumbing or heating service business. Obviously, they're going to some are going to operate more and some are going to operate less. I just uh, I don't know how open people be like what would be like the percentage you should be looking for to achieve grace. I think. But what made you start it in the first place? Like what did you you must have like when you started it you must have thought oh this is a great idea because and you must have at least have an, had an idea of what your profit margins would would look like um yes yeah, so obviously um having like 20 years experience in the plumbing here business it was a no-brainer um but now I'm trying to get systems and processes and CRMs in place so we can streamline that. Yeah. But obviously, we just took on a, a unit, which is a big milestone. So obviously, the the overheads are going up and up and yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. And it's obviously, we've got to work out, so how much per day do we need to generate? Um, but I'm just obviously, you know, just trying to work out that, I suppose, that magic figure. Yeah, I mean, without it's an impossible question for me to answer about your business specifically without understanding your business a, a lot more, if you know what I mean. I'd like kind of need you to, to empty your head for okay. a couple I'll of hours. To, but it's just the simple question yeah. should be a lot easier. Yeah. The, when, answer, when, the first answer Sarah gave is the right answer. If you don't know anybody in your industry and you don't know what great looks like, that means you're not building the connections with people in your industry. And if you go and knock on five doors and four of them tell you to go away, the fifth will say yes. <laughs> so that you would have built the relationship with one and you'll know what good looks like. I'll give you an example. That's my phone. Can you believe it? <laughs> right? Okay, right. So <laughs> but if you give me an example, you know, you know I work closely with Liam, right? So when Liam, I sit down with Liam and I'm going, I know what great looks like. And I have a look at what Liam's doing. And I know what great looks like to him. And I know I would have a 10 people and, and there's parameters. You know your cost per lead. You know your cost per head. You know, and you can look at other businesses and find out, well, who's doing the biggest cost per head at this event? And then you ask the question, well, why are they doing that? And then you continue to improve based off that. So Sarah's answer was bang on. Go and find those businesses, build relationships with those businesses. And very quickly you will find... There's some people that are operating at a very, very high level, and that will give you some really great insights. I think it was absolutely nailed on, and you should all, you know, what do you think about partnerships, Sarah? Not partnerships, but relationships with other people in your sector. I mean, they're critical. To it. I honestly can't stress enough how important it is to know what great looks like and what you're doing. Um, to you, again, what success looks like to you, your definition of success, but what great looks like in your particular business it's really important so when you talk about restaurants we talk about cafes you know i'm like well how does nando's have as many as they've got how what does their model look like what you know learn find out that's what great surely if they've got that many of them that's what great looks like and suddenly you'd find out that nando's pizza express gourmet burger kitchen somebody else it's actually a really similar business model really 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 similar the, the thing is, uh, before we joined Gold Circle, is that we were spinning all the plates, like myself, and it's, been, it's very, very difficult. Like, I would love to have half of those things on there to, like, do, like, outside work. Um, but the biggest thing I'm, like, seeing, like, if we can network, like, with other people that's in my industry and obviously build up partnerships, then 
yeah, I mean, that would really help. I yeah. think that help that that will help you to shortcut. Like yeah. I think that that time invested, you know, if we talk again about that return on time invested. That's a really, really good use of your time um, to find the time. That's kind of worth you sacrificing something else on your on your pie chart for in the short term because it would free up more time in the future. So it's it's something that's helping towards you making your time redundant, basically. Because if you can if you can learn how to get somewhere just a bit quicker, if you can learn about a big hole that you're about to fall in and actually walk around it, and you can learn the smallest thing, just the smallest tweak that you find out that somebody else does, it could be whether it's lead generation, it could be how they generate a profit margin, whatever it is that you learn something, that you tweak your business, it could make the world of difference to the way that you operate in just one conversation. It could be in the 10th conversation, but actually that investing your time in that particular way, by the, by the sounds of it, at the stage your business is at as well, sounds really, really useful useful thing to do right now, I would say. Build those relationships, Michael. Ask the questions. You have the conversation. Yeah, exactly. Hey everybody, Adam here, and I hope you loved today's episode. Hope you thought it was fabulous. And if you did, I'd like to ask you a small favour. Could you jump over and go and give the podcast a review? Of course, I'll be super grateful if that is a five-star review. We're putting our all into this podcast for you, delivering you the content, giving you the secrets. And if you've enjoyed it, please go and give us a review and talk about what your favorite episode is, perhaps. Every single month, I select someone from that review list to come to one of my exclusive Academy Days and have lunch with me on the day, meeting hundreds of my clients. So if you want that to be you, then you're going to be in with a shout if you go and give us a review on iTunes. Please, of course, do remember to subscribe so you can get all the up-to-date episodes. Peace and love, and I'll see you very, very soon. Thank you.